0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm beginning today. We're going to begin to talk about some values of our church over the next little while, the next couple of months. Uh, as really, I believe we 're in a, what I would call a couple of months of shifting into the power zone, not just into power road, but i just have this real sense in God that the next couple of months our church is, is shifting into a new zone uh, as, a, as a church and so I want us to put our vision up here uh, just to be really clear. this is the vision of our church to build a church where Jesus is glorified and lives are transformed, where we, where Jesus is glorified by our lives by our words, by our worship, uh, by us leading in every area and every sphere of society that uh, Jesus is glorified. And lives are transformed, lives like Tyler from the moment of salvation out of darkness into light transformation, but not just stopping then, transformation into every good thing that God's got for us so that there's all of us, and I'm in the same, but we're in a continual journey of being transformed to be like Christ, in a continual journey of being changed so that we can fulfill God's purpose for our life. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you, but you need to change. Turn to the other neighbor on the other side and say you're in the right place for transformation. Fantastic. All right, all right. All right. Some, some of you wives, that was your moment right there. That was you're like, yes, I've been wanting to say this for weeks, and today I got to say it. All right, so we're going to look at the values of our church. We have about a dozen values that come up on the screen at different points. And today, I want to talk about this value about being a praying church. Our church is a praying church. We take spiritual territory through front-footed, faith-filled Prayer. So I'd like you to just say this together afterwards with me, I'll count to three, and we're going to say it as if we are mighty prayer warriors, okay? Alright, one, two, three. Our church is a praying church. We take spiritual territory through front-footed, faith-filled prayer. Alright, that's us. We're people of prayer, people of faith. We lean in and we pray with, with, a, with an aggression that takes ground. Takes ground as a young boy, who uh, who was wanting a new bike, and his mum walked in on him in the middle of and overheard his prayer at night, and he's he's on his knees beside his bed praying, God, if you give me a new bike, I'll be good for one week. And she's like, son, that's not how it works. You can't, you know, bargain with God. And anyway, the next night, she's just about to walk in. She hears his prayer. God, if you give me a new bike... I'll be good for two weeks. And she's like, oh, no, that's not how it works. You can't bargain with God. The next night, she overhears the prayer: if you, God, if you give me a new bike, I'll be good for three weeks. That's a big thing to be good for three weeks. She's like, oh, it doesn't really work. And so then the next night, he doesn't have a new bike. And the next night, she walks through the lounge. She's about to go to the prayer. And she's a Catholic lady. And she has a a little statue of Mary normally that sits up on the mantelpiece. But she noticed is The statue's not there. Instead, there's a little yellow post it note, and it says this If you ever want to see your mother again, give me a new bike. <laughs> He changed his strategy with prayer. Now, neither of those are recommended here today, but I wanna talk to us this morning about a specific type of prayer called targeted prayer. Targeted prayer, okay? Uh, in the in about the year 2000, uh, just long, not long after, maybe 2001, after Danielle and I become senior pastors in our church, uh, Dale Phillips, uh, we heard about this last week in our anniversary, Dale Phillips contracted a very aggressive form of cancer, Hodginson's lymphoma. There he is, just uh, very shy about this, standing up in our midst. Dale, we love you. And so uh, Judy, who's a mighty prayer warrior, began to pray, and family and people all around the world began to pray for God's deliverance of Dale. And I was, we were only very new pastors, and uh, so as a young pastor, I did what a young pastor does, and I went to visit Dale in hospital, and I was reading through the Psalms. He was deathly pale. He had the look of impending death. Uh, He couldn't eat his food. Uh, The doctor said that it's probably about three days is what he will make in terms of of how long he's going to survive. And so I'm reading through Psalm 107. And as I read through Psalm 107 uh, to him, I'm reading through a number of Psalms just to comfort him basically as he goes from one one time on earth to heaven, and the Word of God, just as I'm reading it, jumps out at me and says, it talked about a, a, one who couldn't eat their food, who was on death's door, and he says, and he sent his Word and healed him. Yeah. And it just, you know, it didn't like jump out as a massive big thing, but it just came alive to me. And we, we at this point called a prayer meeting, and I remember this specifically because I'd only just recently been to Sydney, and I listened to Dr. Yongi Cho, who had grown the largest church in the world, and one of the things that he'd grown, the foundation of that church, was, was targeted or specific prayer. And he told us that specific prayer is when we come to God with a request and a need or something specific, and we don't um, pray flowery prayer, prayers, he called it. I remember it, right? Not big flowery prayers. It's not, the, it's not the actual words that mean so much. But if we're specific, if we're passionate, then God will answer those. And he told a number of stories, one of which is when he just prayed for a few hours, God, give me a new kidney. God, heal my kidney. God, give me a new kidney. And he's prayed like that, phrase over and over from his spirit, and how God actually gave him a brand new new kidney. And so I was inspired by this word, and I came back to our church very early days, and I said, all right, we're going to have a prayer meeting, but it's going to be a different prayer meeting. We're not just going to focus on what God's saying. We're just going to knock on the door of heaven with a targeted prayer, and we're going to basically pray these words, God heal Dale Phillips. And we're going to have an hour where all of us are just going to cry out, God heal Dale Phillips. God heal Dale Phillips. In early days in the church, there's a few people who are like, what's happened to the young pastor? He's losing it. This is not really what you're supposed to do. But we saw in that moment the specific focus of prayer combined with people around the world and, and, and faith, not just from us, but we were a big part of this, of God doing a miracle so that 17 years later, Dale is a literal walking miracle. As a result of focused prayer, it's awesome. The Bible talks about this: the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much fervent or passionate prayer. It's a little bit like this. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, pulled out a magnifying glass. I remember as a kid finding out that you could hold a magnifying glass with the sun on you know, a piece of dry grass or a leaf or, or maybe on a piece of paper or, or maybe on a grasshopper or an ant or something, depending on what kind of little kid you were. All right, and you could, you could hold it there. And if you held it in place long enough, you would be able to harness the power of the sun if you held it long enough to go through to cause heat and to cause uh, that thing to catch on fire. The power of targeting something massive in power but bringing with clarity of focus and targeted prayer is where we bring a clarity of focus of the power of God like the sun onto a specific issue not 500 issues not 10 issues but we go God here's an issue and we're bringing targeted specific prayer to this area and this morning I want to talk about this aspect of faith Okay, this aspect of prayer. Uh, I, I wanna, I'm going to presume or understand that we spend a lot of time talking about all sorts of different types of prayer. There's prayer, and the majority of our prayer really is where we come to God our Father, and we worship, and we, we, we're thankful, and we're elevating, and we're lifting Him up, where we where we get filled with the love of God, where we enjoy a relationship with God, where we enjoy Jesus coming and, and, and letting us sink deep into His love, where we're transformed by fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So much of our prayer is about relationship, worship, and experiencing God, and if, elevating who he is. But I'm going to, this morning, I want to talk particularly not about that. I'm going to presume that that's part of your relationship with God. I'm going to talk about a specific type of prayer that builds on that, but it's targeted prayer. And we're going to have a look at two parables that Jesus taught about prayer. We're going to look at how Jesus told us that we should pray. Jesus, uh, there's really three parables where, or three times Jesus specifically taught about faith. One was the Lord's prayer, about prayer. One was the Lord's prayer and these other two we're going to look at. Other times he, sp- he spoke about faith and how faith works and speaking to the mountains and all the, but these are particularly about prayer. And then we're going, to draw, we're going to draw some thoughts from Jesus' teaching on prayer. Are you ready to go? All right, the first one is in Luke chapter 18, and it says this. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, "'Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy.'" The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. None of you have ever said that before. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Not necessarily the widow, but from the judge and how God responds. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. That's the first scripture, the story of a woman who's a widow. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what the situation is, but I imagine it's something like this. She's a widow, and she should have been given uh, an inheritance that was her husband's, and it should have been passed on to her. That's what I would imagine. And somehow through corruption, somehow uh, illegally, maybe it's the brother-in-law or someone, has laid claim to a piece of property that really should be hers. And so this woman, knowing that the law is on her side, knowing that legally it's her right to have this piece of land, is how I imagine it, she goes to the judge, and she goes and first of all presents her case before the judge, and he and he just ignores it, says, no, it belongs to, maybe it's a maid of his who knows what's going on, no, it belongs to so-and-so, but I imagine the next day as the judge is walking to the courthouse, pops up as the little widow walking beside him, hi, judge, just thought I'd walk with you, just want to let you know that piece of land belongs to me and you're not going to see the end of me until I get justice he's like oh go go away and then I imagine oh you know the next morning as he gets to the, the courthouse goes to open the door she's there morning judge give me my land. It's rightfully mine. He's like, go away, go away. I imagine on Saturday afternoon, he goes down to the pub to relax. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees the door open. In comes this little woman, comes in and sits down beside him, says, hi, judge, looking forward to this session every Saturday until I get my lands. I imagine he wakes up Sunday morning, walks out to get the newspaper that's been delivered a little bit hung over and beside his letterbox. Morning, judge, I'll be here every Sunday morning until I get my land. The Bible says he drove him crazy and as a result of driving him crazy, he eventually gave in and said, I'll give you justice, not because it was justice, but because of her approach. And Jesus tells us that's how you should pray. Now, let's look at another parable here, and we're going to draw some thoughts from these. Luke eleven five 5 to 10. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. The joy of living on the Sunshine Coast. All the friends come to visit, don't they? And I have nothing for him to eat. And and suppose he calls out from his bedroom. You've got to understand in Israel, uh, Middle Eastern culture, the way that they would either be in like an underground cave or an above ground room, but the the room would be in the middle where it was the warmest and then there'd be children and then there'd be animals all uh, often inside the house. And so to get up in the middle of the night meant disturbing everybody if you were woken up, okay? So there's knocking on the door, I need these three loaves. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. Two stories from Jesus telling us that how we should pray when we want an answer from God, when we want a promise that God's given us to come to pass. Now, here's interesting. Sometimes we can get wrong thinking about prayer and how it works. Sometimes we can get this kind of idea that because God's our our father and because we have relationship with him, purely based on our relationship, God will see our need and he'll answer our need because of our friendship. We can get that thinking. But this verse tells us, it gives us an idea, although he won't do it for friendship's sake, it's not the relationship that's going to get the neighbor answering. It's the persistent knocking on the door. There are certain prayers for you and I that God is not going to answer just because he's our father and just because he sees the need. If God answered because he saw our need, then we wouldn't have any needs. But it's not need that moves God, it's faith, and faith is expressed through a shameless persistence of knocking on the door. Uh, sometimes people can go well well it's it, yep God meets need or or sometimes we, we can almost think we're too religious which, like a religious thought could be well God's got he's so busy he's got all these other things on they're more important I won't bother him with my needs but that's like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son who said father why are you killing the fatted calf for my brother who was rebellious and and the Lord said well you've always been with me you could have anything you wanted you just needed to ask Another place in the Bible that says you have not because you ask not. So God's, God's not, he's not worried, uh, you know, about meeting the needs that you've got if you bring it before him. He's just looking for faith. And faith is expressed like this. Faith pleases God, Hebrews tells us. And, and faith believes that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. So I want us to draw a few thoughts from these stories about how we should pray. And I understand this might mess with your thinking about prayer and God. And that's the whole point, isn't it, this morning? Because that's what Jesus came to do, to mess with our thinking. Here's the first thing I want us to understand. First thing is this, that when we bring targeted prayer to God, remember I'm talking targeted prayer as one type of prayer, one mode of prayer, okay? One, One style of prayer. Targeted prayer is about doing business with God doing business with God. It's not its not relationship, it's not worship, but it's essentially where I come into the courtrooms of heaven and God's on the throne of heaven and I come before God and he says, now you can come and make your request because you're righteous in Christ. So I walk through that door. Yep, I'm righteous in Christ. And so that's where the fervent prayer of the righteous man, that's me now because Jesus has made me right, not because of my own good behavior, but Jesus has made me right. And so I come before God and I stand before him. Yes, he's my father, but in this position, he's he's the judge. Where the Bible says in this case, although the neighbor wouldn't answer because of friendship, He answered because of persistence. There was a difference in the relationship. Even the story that Jesus says of teaching us to pray, he says it's a judge. He doesn't say a son comes to his father and and asks him to answer his prayer. He says a widow goes to a judge who has the right to say yes or no. And when we come before God in the, in the courtroom of heaven, the Bible says that the devil tries to accuse us in the courtroom of heaven, but Jesus is our intercessor in the courtroom of heaven. He's our advocate. The Holy Spirit prays with us on our behalf. When we stand before God, it's not time for relational prayer. It's time to come before God and do the business of prayer. I, uh, you know, and if you understand this, maybe I've, I know uh, someone whose dad was a judge and their experience was as a father, but then they saw him in the courtroom and it was different. I had an experience in grade four, five, and six, where one of my best mate's dad was the principal of the, of the school I went to. And so I would go to Travis's place and his dad was a delightful man. We'd kick the football, we'd laugh, I'd seem all relaxed, and then I'd go to primary school. And Mr. Meadows at primary school was not Travis's dad, they were two different people seemingly to me. There was moments when I got to go and visit Mr. Meadows in his office. And can I tell you, the experience I had was a very different experience in his office to what it was at his house. And the reason that that was because when I went to his office, it was the business. He was about the business of being the principal. And can I tell you that part of our relationship with God, it's a beautiful thing. It's a relationship. He's our father. He wants to bless us. But when you bring your prayer before God, you understand we're coming into the throne room of heaven. And this is about doing the business with God. This is about bringing the request before God. And it's, And Jesus said, I want you to be a certain way when you come before your father for specific things. So that's the first thing, do business with God. The second thing is, is when we come before God, we're here to remind him of his promises. So I'm presuming uh, in, in targeted prayer that you've got a promise, a prophecy, a rhyme, a word from God, God's spoken to you. And we're bringing that promise to him. Isaiah 62, verse six to seven says this, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. When the Bible speaks of Jerusalem, in the Old Testament, it's speaking of the church. Day and night, there it is, day and night. God seems to love this day and night thing. Day and night, they keep at it, praying, calling out, reminding God to remember. It would seem to me that God's got a lot on his plate. There's a lot going on around the world. There's a lot of prayers been going on. So it would seem to me that it's possible that God maybe forgets about the promises that he's made, possible maybe, or in the back of his mind, or actually he's just waiting for you and I to to get activated in prayer because he wants to draw something out of us. And he wants us to come into his throne and actually remind him. He wants us as a church to come before him and say, hey God, Remember that prophecy from Vicky Simpson a number of years ago where you said you would give us our own land and a facility that would have national, f- uh, national significance. Father, we're just reminding you of that pro- prophecy. I call it a prophecy. It's a cross between a promise and a prophecy. We're reminding you, God, the scriptures that you've given us say that you will go before us and you'll drive out our enemy like a consuming fire and you'll do it quickly. I'm reminding you that's what you said. Lord, you said that about our land, that our land will yield a bountiful harvest. We're trying to sell it for a lot more than we bought it for. And we need our zoning to change so that we can sell it for how much you've told us to. But we're reminding you that you said our land will yield its bountiful harvest. And we come before God with the promise of heaven. We come and say, God, you said travel steadily along the path and I will honor you by giving you the land. God, we want power road. We want to buy that thing. And I'm just reminding you, you said you'd honor us by giving us the land. There's this position where we go, God, I've got the rhema word. I've got the prophecy. I've got the promise. It's, it's legally mine, but it's not practically mine. So I'm just like that woman with the judge. Morning, Lord, just reminding you, you gave us a promise. That's how Jesus said that he wants us to pray. And he said that that God's response to us is not based on the fact that he's given us just because he gave us a promise, just because it's his will. You go, oh, well, if it's the will of God, John, surely it's just going to happen. Surely, surely God's in charge of the whole world. He's sovereign. If it's his will, won't it just happen? Well, why would Jesus have said that when you pray, pray this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he say to pray that? Wouldn't he have said, thank God that all his that his will's being done? He didn't, he didn't say, Thank God that his will's being done. He said, I want you to pray the will of God into planet earth. So just because God's promised, God wants everybody saved. Is everybody getting saved? No. Therefore he calls on the church to pray his will into reality. That's our job. So the standing place we've got is to remind God. This is what you've said. Charles Spurgeon said this. He called this sort of prayer as prevalent pleading pleading with God, but prevailing on him for his promise. He said, you pray this kind of prayer to God. Remember thy word unto thy servant. It's old English, thy, thy, on which thou has caused me to hope. When you go to God, he says, remember what you promised because you've caused me to hope in it. I come to God. Remember what you've said to our church. Remember what you've said. Look, remember the fasting. Remember the the prayer. Remember the giving. Remember what we've done. God, we're reminding you. And he loves it. He's actually looking for a response of people. Now, I'm talking about us as a church and what we're doing over the next week, but I'm talking about you praying for that son, that daughter, praying for that miracle, that financial breakthrough, that restoration, your parents, whatever it is. This is the same vibe in terms of prayer. So we do business with God. We come into the throne room of heaven. We remind him of his promises. And then I love this. We pray like a broken record. Now, how many of you remember vinyl records? Give me a wave if you remember vinyl records. Okay, vinyl records. Uh, if not, look it up on YouTube later on, kiddies, you'll find something. But the vinyl record would go something like this. The record would be playing and then there'd be a scratch and the little needle would get stuck and it would go around and around and around and you'd hear something like up there, kazali, up there, kazali, up there, up there, up there, up there. It would just go around. And around and around and around, until somebody, whoever could tolerate it the least, whoever got the most annoyed at that sound because re- the record was broken, it was st- someone it will be like a little game, like parents play in the middle of the night pretending they can't hear the baby. Like, oh, I can't hear the baby, no, I'm asleep, I'm asleep. No, you go, you go, someone go. Same with a broken record. If I just, if I just oh, so, oh, okay, I'll fix it. And you go and you flick the little thing and it goes a little, the needle moves on and it goes back on the track and the song keeps going until it hits the next bit that's broken. And then the same thing goes on and on. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. This is what God tells us to pray like. Pray like a broken record. Jesus gives two specific stories. And one of the stories says, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna do, get, make sure she gets justice or that the promise comes to pass because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. That's how the prayer gets answered. Wearing me out. The other one, that's, that's the, the woman, the, the widow. The other one goes like this. If you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I've got no shame. I'm just gonna keep asking. Isaiah puts it like this, uh, remember, remember, reminding God to remember, you are to give him no peace until he does what he said. Give him no rest so God's in heaven. It's 12 o'clock at night. He's thinking about North America, solving some of their problems. And that church in Kiwana Waters, someone gets up and it's midnight and they go, God. He goes, oh, they're just going to give me some lovely worship. And they get up and first of all, they put the prophecy from Vicky Simpson on. He's like, oh, I remember that, I said that. And then they put the song promises on and it starts to play. And then they start, they just read out scriptures. They said, God, you said to us that you would give us this land. God, you said to us, you'd give us our land. You said you'd give us our land. I'm reminding you. And he's like, oh, wow, that's right. I did say that. And then it's like one o'clock and he's like, okay, Canada's got some issues. The next person wakes up. Morning Lord, just here to tell you, you gave us some promises. You prophesied some things over us, and I'm not going to give you any rest. We're going to shamelessly just knock on the door. We're not going to even pray flowery prayers that are impressive. We're just going to sit here and say, God, give us our land. 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 God, you promised, give us our land. Sell our land. Let us buy our land. Give us new zoning. Sell our land let us buy our land give us new zoning he's like oh how long are they going to go on two o'clock in the morning the next shift kicks in gets up either hasn't gone to bed or a little bit blurry eyed whatever the case may be and they're there and they come and now across the coast you know some hours this week 168 hours in a row there's going to be 20 30 40 people simultaneously getting up and the lord's going to be like oh where's the worship coming from And, and it's like God, give us our land. God, give us our land. God, give us our land. All over the place. It's like, what's going on? These Now, some of you are thinking, I'm being religious right now. This is exactly how Jesus told us to pray. Knock, yell, annoy, bug, harass, broken record. Give us our land. 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 Hey, Lord, we love you. You're awesome, but give us our land. Give us our land. Give us our land. That's how he says. The devil's like, oh no, they're just, they're going to get into the zone that really locks in. They're going to they're get there. It's like Elijah and he's got the sound of abundance of rain. There's no clouds coming, but he gets his, on his knees and he, prays, and he prays and he prays and he prays until it happens. You go, what happens if it doesn't happen after a week? I oh, will go again. And he'll go, these guys are really flipping persistent, aren't they? They're not going to give up. They're not taking no for an answer. They're not letting their circumstances be determined by closed doors. They're barging doors down. They're they're harassing me. They know they've got the weight of the law on their side. They know they've got the promises on their side, but they're coming like a broken record. And you know what? Actually, secretly, God's like, but he's like, I really love it when they pray like this. I really love it because it's faith. That's what faith is. Faith is diligently seeking me. They actually believe what I said. They actually believe it was from me. And, I, and Gabriel's there like, oh God, I'm sick of this. Give me my land business. God, God look, Father, can you do, what, what? And he's like, oh no, I love the faith. And the other angels are like, come on, let's get a whole new song or something going. Can we get some new prayers coming up? Those Kiwana waters, see three guys. They're just, they're, all they're doing is harassing us. Like a broken record gets his attention and eventually he's going to go, all right, you, give them that land, give them the zoning they need, get the buyer there, get that thing moving. It's time, we need a bit of a praise party, please. It's time for a praise party. We're like, actually, Lord, we'll give you the praise party when that happens. Now, I know you praise as if it's happened and that's faith, but I'm talking about targeted prayer and there's something powerful about locking in. This morning. Can I get the band up here today? Like a broken record, baby. Like a broken record. I love this from uh, Spurgeon. We're quoting Charles Spurgeon today. Prayer pulls the rope below, and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so weakly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and continuously with all his might. God, answer your church. God, respond, respond, respond to us. He loves it when we come passionately. I I see us in our connect groups throughout the week, taking 10 or 15 minutes and combining together to just go, God, Give us our land. God, give us our future. Give us what you've promised. I see 168 hours consecutively. I see people who've maybe never prayed for an hour in a row. But this is your first time. And This is what what I see If if you're new to our church, if you're a member of our church. I want you, when we're in our building opening, $10 million facilities, miraculously provided to us by God, I want you to stand in that place as we worship and I want in your heart for you to know I was part of the 24-7 week that that moved God's hand. I was part, I I participated. Maybe I was a brand new Christian. Maybe I'd never prayed before in my life, but I was part of moving heaven. And here's the other part of that. The Bible says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, what I'm talking about, us getting our land and moving into the future, that's the kingdom of God. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all your things will be added. That means there's a flow down. It's it's like you're saying, John, should I pray for my own financial breakthrough or should I pray for the church land? Pray for the church land. That's the kingdom of God and your things will get answered. And then out of learning how we pray, then apply those principles into your own life going forward on whatever it is you need a miracle for. Does that make sense? Can we close our eyes right now? Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus taught us how to pray. We wanna be a reckless, audacious, remind you of your promises kind of people. Lord, I pray that we would always be a church who responds to your promises with faith and persistence. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, you know what, I wanna be part of this. I wanna pray for at least an hour. I just want you to raise your hand. You're saying, yeah, okay, I'm I'm gonna be part of this prayer week for our church. Just raise your hand up strong if that's you. Fantastic, lots of people, lots of people. Lord, as we cry out, I pray that you'll answer us. You'll grow our faith. Well, we've got our eyes closed this morning. You're hearing me talk about praying to God for the answers that we need in our life. But the greatest answer we need in our life is not land, it's not a house, it's not finances, it's not even healing. The greatest need that we all have, every one of us, is that our sins are forgiven. The Bible says that all of us sin and fall short of God's glory. The picture there is like someone firing an arrow. The word sin means fall short and it just doesn't make the mark. We're told that none of us, because of our broken humanity, none of us can measure up to God's standard. We've all lied. We've all said things we shouldn't have thought things. We shouldn't have heard others, been proudful. all of us. And the Bible tells us that that cuts us off from God. That's why God sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. He died and he was punished for every sin that I've ever committed and that you've ever committed and that everybody, the Bible says, he took on himself the sin of the world. The love that drove him to do that was God's love for you and for me. God's love that wants to flood us and fill us. You see, you'll never truly be satisfied. You'll never find what you're looking for. You'll never find the purpose, the peace or the hope that you need outside of a relationship with God. You'll only find things satisfy you at a surface level, but there's a deeper level. And that deeper level is your soul needs to be forgiven and you're born for a relationship with God. So nothing else will satisfy that deep ache in your heart for a relationship with God.